So, God has got more for us, and uh, so much more for us. And the question is whether or not we want it, we're willing to receive it, and we're willing to get rid of those things that stand in the way between us and uh, having an open hand, an open heart to get everything that God wants to give us. It's not simply for us and for our blessing and our benefit, but in God's economy, he gives to us in order that we might give to others and give it away. That's, that's how God works. It's very interesting that that quote I mentioned at the beginning from Billy Graham, when he said, the greatest need of the nation today is that men and women profess, who profess Christ get filled with the Spirit. He understands that to impact the nation, we need the people of God to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be all for God that they can be. It's not simply some sort of consumerism whereby we're blessed and we have you know, our, our little experience or something. It's so that, that we are fully available to be used by God and to overflow, so to speak, and uh, be more effective in our witness for him and our communication uh, about him in our society and in our communities, in our families. Um, God does want us to be blessed. It is a blessing for us, but we receive in order that we might give. And God wants us to get everything that we can get so that, we can get so that it overflows. We're in an amazing season well, just floods are everywhere. I think you know about floods here in Norfolk, certainly down in Oxford. I live on Osney Island. <laughs> we know all about floods. The rivers are forever breaking their banks. And uh, down in the West Country, they're in real trouble. But we need the, ch- the, the church, the river of God's spirit that flows through the church to break its banks in our life and through our church. And, you know, to fill the church, to spill out into the community in all manner of ways for the good of society and the glory of God. I was talking um, in the coffee break to Alan who was telling me about a chap called John Harcourt, Harcourt, who some of us know here, who uh, recently was doing uh, a seminar on uh, church leadership. And he said that, uh, that, that his desire and what, what church leaders want is, to, is, is for the, the Christians who are solid to be sold out. And uh, you know, that's what God wants. God wants all of us to move up, as it were, incrementally, even this weekend, in our knowledge of him and our experience of him and uh, our reception of him and our usefulness to him. And... Uh, you know, some of you here may not even be Christian. You, you like the church family, you like the church community, you've been around it for years, and you've heard it all before, but you've never actually said yes to Jesus. You've never actually said, come into my life and forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life and make everything new, and I give myself to you today. I need you. And... Uh, Maybe this weekend that's what it's about for you, to say, Jesus, come into my life. Uh, some of you may just be new Christians, and this is all new to you. Think, more, I can't believe how much I've got already. It's so qualitatively different from what I had before. And that's fantastic. But others of you who have been Christians a long time, someone was telling me earlier on, that they just felt, for years, they just plateaued. You know? 
And uh, that's not a bad place to be. You know, it means that you've actually arrived somewhere where you're comfortable enough to plateau. As long as you're not rolling back down a hill, you're plateauing. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not going backwards. But this is a weekend where, right, here we go. We're, we're going to go up higher, further up and further in. There's a great line in C.S. Lewis. I think it's the last battle right at the end. And he keeps talking about this, moving up through this stream. I forgot who it was, not Reaper Cheek, but further up and further in. That's what, that's what we want, to move further up and further in, into our knowledge of God and our experience of him by the Holy Spirit. And those of you who are really solid Christians, the backbone of the church, the givers, the prayers, you know, maybe God wants to just nudge you a bit further. Sold out. It's possible at times to lose what you once had. I've got my briefcase over there. Would you like to stand up and hold up the briefcase? This is a bit like Mother's Union show and tell. Here's the vicar's briefcase. What's that tatty old case there? You know, thank you very much and beautifully uh, held up. I love my briefcase. My fa- it's one of my favourite things. In 1786, how about that for a date? A ship called the Meta Katerina from Flensburg in Denmark, it's now Germany, was filled with leather from Russia. They made the best leather in the world. One of my hobbies is leather. Weird, I know. It's because I was in the meat trade, and you know, you go from the animal to the skin. Most leather, most leather takes about, well, reasonable Italian leather, about six weeks to make. Okay? Cheaper leather, take a week in a drum of oil. The best English bridal leather, 18 months to make. This leather took three years to make. Very expensive to make and store. It was made with secret sort of um, uh, ingredients for the tanning that they don't even know how to replicate and chemists don't know. Anyway, 1786, ship was full of it. It was sailing from Russia to Genoa, the best manufacturing centre for leather. And it got blown off course and sunk off the coast of England. And it was in the newspaper. They knew what the ship was. They knew it was sunk and, and so on. Live, no lives lost, but all the cargo lost. In the 1980s, divers found it. Found the bell and then found the... Re- and it was under the silt. And they brought up some of the hides. And I bought one. And had that case made for me. How about that then? Now you're more impressed. Years ago, for my 40th birthday, the best case maker in England... And I said to him when I got it, I, I, I nearly cried. It, you know, it, it, you think it's ugly, but it moved me. I said, that's fit for Prince Charles. He said, it's better than his. I repaired his. Um, <laughs> anyway, something wonderful that got lost. It got, you know, a storm came and it just got lost and buried. And I think there are people here that God put something wonderful into your life years ago. Maybe when you were just young and at church or at some charismatic renewal event or when you're at university and you recorded it in your journal, you prayed about it, a call on your life, a gift that it had given you, a vision for something, and, and, and somehow the storms just came and it, it just got buried. You know, 
But I think God, maybe this weekend for some of you, I think it's just a word for some of you, he just wants to find that, that he gave you, a vision or a call or a gift or something, and say, come on, it's time to bring it up, wash it off, and put it to good use. Now, there is more. God wants us to have more. The world needs us to have more. How do we, uh, things get in the way of it? Assuming we've, worked, we, we've, we've recognized that there is more, God wants us to have more, the world needs us to have more, and we've got to take off the handbrakes to that more. How do we then press through to the more? How do we, what do we actually have to do to, to move from solid to sold out? How do we get up and get going from that plateau um, uh, to move on up? Well, I want to suggest two things, and then I want to suggest two things of what it looks like when we get it. Okay? So that's just four points. That's all I've got. But some of them, some of them may have sub-points. Thank you, Vicar. Now, <clears throat> the first thing is desire. Desire. The thing that marked the Apostle Paul was his desire for the church to have more. The thing that we saw in, in, in Philippians chapter 3 was his own desire for more. I want to know Christ. Well, you already know him. You've written half the New Testament. You preach the gospel here, there, and everywhere. You do know him. Yeah, I know, he says. I know him better than all of you. And I want to know him more. Only, only a lover understands this. I want to know him more. I've spent much of my Christian life reading biographies and autobiographies. I prefer autobiographies. They ask better questions about the great men and women of God in history. And one of the, one of the f- things that occurs repeatedly, one of the features in their life of those whom God seems to use in wonderful ways, who have remarkable experiences and remarkable ministries, is that there is this Hunger. Kierkegaard, the famous Danish philosopher, said, Hunger is the umbilical cord of the higher life. Hunger. Desire. It's desire that takes hold of God. Paul, I want to know Christ. But the sad thing is that many of us have lost our desire. Many of us have lost our appetite for the things of God. You know, if you've been sick, then invariably for a little while, you know, your stomach has shrunk and you really don't feel like much food, do you? And some of us may have had experiences, whether, you know, in church or with our family or life experiences or disappointments or we feel God has let us down. And it's almost caused us spiritually to have our spiritual stomach shrink. Recently in our church, we, we, we had uh, two sessions on, um, with an expert in anorexia because it's just an epidemic in Oxford, which, and I'm sure in wider society. We just have real problems. And people are really struggling. But uh, they've lost their appetite for food. And they've actually often got a false understanding of their own identity. I think that's often how it is in church with us. We, we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We often think we're all right. 
We don't need any more. And we've lost our appetite. We're sort of spiritually anorexic. And yet God is the God who lays a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I mentioned Oswald Chambers earlier on. I love Oswald Chambers. What a saint. Did you know that Oswald Chambers, on his gravestone, I think it's in Cairo, he went off as a, as a chaplain with the army. Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, or it was a collection of his writings, on his gravestone, it actually is engraved, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's his gravestone. I love that. And one of the things that marked him was desire for more. He was the one who said it's about abandonment to receive from God. But I came across this quote from him the other day. He said in uh, his, his writing up most of his house, I am hungry with a vast desire for him. I'm hungry with a vast desire for him. The fact is some of us are not hungry. And what we need to do is, some, is to activate that hunger. How do we do that? Well, we put ourselves around the food, you know. Ah, Bisto, you know. And, and you're around the food. You know all this, I'm just reminding you. We've got to put ourselves around the food. We've got to become disciplined in starting to eat it in portions that we can manage without feeling ill. We've got to just build up our capacity to eat. I don't know about you, but I can have eaten a great meal, and then Master Chef comes on, and I could eat it again. I could do with that. When I was a student chaplain, I'd eat a meal before we had my student meetings, and then afterwards walking home on a Thursday night, I always walked past the kebab van. I thought, fantastic. You know, and I'd queue up. I was a student worker after all. I was allowed to eat student food, I think. They'd say, what would you like? You know, I said, kebab, please, small or large? I think, large? <laughs> Extra cheese? <laughs> um, not very helpful, waking up with onion bread. Anyway, the point is... You know, you put yourself around the food and it can sort of generate an appetite for it. And some of us need to just generate an appetite for God. We need to put ourselves around the things of God. We need to get back into the Bible. Some of you have lost your discipline for Bible reading. It's just gone by the by. Do you know what I mean? It's just gathering dust in your room. And you need to start opening it up and reading and feeding again and getting those spiritual gastric juices flowing. There's a lovely old medieval prayer that goes something like this. I want you. And then it, 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 uh, it sort of pauses and it gets a bit more honest. Well, I want to want you. And then it repeats it again and says, well, I want to want to want you. And the reality is often there are so many other exigencies that press in on our life that often we, God is pushed out. He's the last thing on our minds, you know? You know, we're worried about the family or about work or about money or about this and we want the, and we're thinking about our holidays, we're thinking about the car, we're thinking about the kids, we're thinking, and actually God isn't really there. And it's a great prayer. I want to want you. Will you stir up in me my affection for you will you put in me a desire for you that only you can satisfy these are great prayers we don't have to fake it we can be dead honest he knows anyway god i'm not sure i really do want you at the moment i'd rather have an affair with the secretary 
knows anyway. I mean, I don't. I haven't got a secretary. But you know what I mean. So. But I want to want you. And I want you to become the all-consuming desire in my life. But I don't really want that at the moment. So will you create that in me? You, you put that in me, God. Put a desire in me. I'm going to do what I can do, but I need you to do what only you can do. Will you? I want to want to want you. And God will slowly begin to turn our affection towards him and stir our appetites for him. We need to want. To, we need to want. I don't know about you, but in our family, we have a phrase when my boys were growing up, I once don't get. <laughs> Anyone have that? I want a biscuit. Go to your room. Um, <laughs> not that I would do that, of course, but um, I want. What do you mean I want? What is this I want? I once don't get. Did you ever say that? Yeah, amazing. I don't know. I was just brought up in it. You know, my parents grew up in the war and rationing afterwards. And you know what I mean? It was like family of four, right, let's cut this club biscuit into four. Think yourself lucky, lad. Um, I'm like, I want. One day, my, 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 youngest, my oldest, but he was only very young, he was smart as a whippet, he was about three, came up to me, can I have a biscuit, yes or no? <laughs> I said no uh, just to see what he'd do and he went can I have a biscuit yes or yes <laughs> you know and it was the beginning of his career as a philosopher you know logic I was so impressed by him can I have a biscuit yes or yes got you there dad I said no <laughs> and then I gave him a packet obviously but I once don't get listen in the kingdom of heaven I, I once get I've already talked about this I once get what do you want God is the God who says, what, what do you want? Jesus said it all the time. Count how many times. Go and do a bit of a Bible study. What do you want? I mean, if you're posh Norfolk, what would you like? What do you want? In Song of Songs, chapter 3, it says, my lover was asleep. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. You know, there's... A, I'm, I'm, I'm divided. Part of me's asleep, but part of me's awake. That's how it is often with us with God. Part of us is asleep to him, part of us is awake. And it said, my lover, from the West Country, Solomon was. <laughs> a lover! And <laughs> my lover opened the door to me and reached in. And she awoke to a lover. She opened the door. My lover had gone. She doesn't go straight back to bed. She, she goes out into the night. And four times we have a little phrase. She says, I sought for the one my heart loved. I sought for the one my heart loved. I found the one my heart loved. I brought the one my heart loved back to my mother's chamber, the room where I was conceived. And often with God, it's a metaphor, often with God, he makes a move towards us and then he sees whether we'll respond to him. Some of us just say whatever and turn over and go back to sleep. But she gets up. She goes out into the night. Has anyone seen my lover? What are you doing up this late? Say the watchman. What are you, you know, I'm looking for my lover. God, God tests our heart. You really want me? God didn't add on the cheap. Do you know what I mean? He's not the fairy godmother. He, he doesn't just you know, sprinkle... My little pony dust. And it's God we're talking about. 
What do you want? Be really serious. You don't want to mess around with the things of God. I sought for the one my heart loved. And some of you, maybe that's the word, you, just, you need to seek for him. If you seek me, you'll find me. I love the story of Jacob. Jacob was a right loser. I mean, what a nut. You know, he was a problem from the womb, wasn't he? Came out scrapping, holding on to his brother's ankle, manipulative, hiding in his mum's dress, skirt, and and just uh, twister. His name means twister. Just always grasping at stuff, resenting his brother. But his brother was given the birthright, but he sold it for a mess of pottage, a stew. Do you know what I mean? He's, he just he, all God's blessing on him. He's happened to he'll give up for a, a bowl of soup. Some of us will sell our birthright for for just a bowl of soup. But the thing that does mark out Jacob is that he never settles for too little, and he keeps coming saying, "I want more." And one night, the angel of the Lord comes to him in the night. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. And he was asleep on the stage. And the angel of the Lord comes, and you remember, and he wrestles with him all night. Yeah? And then in the morning, as the sun rises, Jacob is still holding on. He's grabbed hold of his leg, you know, or whatever. And he's holding on to him. And the angel of the Lord is saying, Get off! What are you doing? <laughs> Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the Lord says, fantastic. That's just what I'm looking for. Most people, you know, would turn over and go to sleep. But you've took hold of me and you won't let me go unless I bless you. At last, here's someone who's worthy, from whose loins can come the people of Israel, and the, and the Messiah, the king of the universe, from you. Because you held on. You're not going to be Jacob the twister anymore. You're going to be Israel. It's brilliant. I will not let you go unless you bless me. There was always a desire in him for something more. Some of you have got desire in you, but you've always devoted it to things of this world. I've got to have more of this. Bigger and better and more. And you need to turn that desire for that stuff to God. And not settle for too little from him. There must be desire. I love the story of Wigglesworth. Do you ever come across Smith Wigglesworth? He was a nut. I really think he was a nut too. From Bradford, he was a plumber. His wife in the Sally Army taught him to read. And he'd heard that the Spirit of God was being poured out in a place called Sunderland. You know, it must have been God, that's what all I can say. And anyway, in a Church of England church, and he went to Sunderland, and there was a renewal meeting in the 20s, 1920s, and the vicar was called Reverend Body. How about that for a name? And he turned up, and all weekend he's at this conference, a bit like this, and at the end of it he thought, absolute load of rubbish, didn't get anything. So on the Monday morning before he got the train, he knocked on the vicar's door and Mrs. Body, that was her name, she comes to the door, hello, can I help you, the vicar's wife? And he said, 
I'm not leaving till I get it. <laughs> Real Bradford, I'm not leaving till I get it. She said, what do you want? He said, I want to speak in tongues. She said, ah. She said, well, that's not what you need. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Come on in. She went into the study. She said, get on your knees. He got on his knees. She laid hands on him. And the Spirit of God fell on him and filled him. And immediately he saw Christ on the cross, dying for his sins. The Spirit will always lead you to the cross, if it's the Holy Spirit. Glorifies Christ and his work. And then he had a vision of angel, of him clothed in white, and angels all around singing, holy, holy, holy. And he began singing, holy, holy, holy. And then he ran out of words and just started flowing in tongues. He got up from there a different man. And God used him in the most extraordinary way. Brought a revival to Scandinavia. People say he raised 11 people from the dead. I don't believe it. Christians exaggerate. Christian biographies and autobiographies exaggerate. But even if it's only 90% true. You know, there was one, in a, there was one in something, wasn't there? You know? God used him. He was a miracle man. How? Why? I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm not leaving till I get it. Some of us leave too soon. You know, we leave God's presence too soon. We, we, we pull off from pursuing. We don't wake up and get up when he comes. How do we move from solid to sold out? What does that abandonment look like? Desire. And if you haven't got that, ask God for it. You don't have to work it up. We don't fake it. We ask God, put a fire deep down in me that will not go out. Desire, that was the first of how many point four. Um, second, death. <coughs> Thanks for that. Paul says, I, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made like him in death. There is a strange experience that often accompanies those who pursue God is that they go through a a period of great shaking. Wilderness, darkness, brokenness. It's, It's like a dying, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die. It cannot come up. And often in the things of God, when we're pursuing him, God takes us to a place and there's a laying down. There's a stripping down. There's a breaking down. And, and, and for many of us, our flesh recoils. We think, I don't want any of that. But somehow, in God's economy, it's necessary for him to break and to take in order for him to remake and to give himself to us. And I've seen this so many times in the literature of men and women of God. You won't find any of them who had it easy. Invariably, there is a breaking. There is a a taking. There is this dying. Somehow, mystical, an identification with Christ in his sufferings. George Whitfield very famous evangelical leader in the time of the 
evangelical awakening in 1730s. He was at Pembroke College, where our beloved rector, Alan, was, and his son is. Pembroke College is next door to my church. In fact, you can open the door and spit and hit Pembroke. Not that you would spit, but if you wanted to, you could. I mean, it's close. You know, it's just from here to the pillar. And uh, Whitfield, not that I could spit that far. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> anyway, Whitfield from Gloucester, he um, wanted more of God. <laughs> He loved God. He loved his ways. He was disciplined in his quiet time, but he sought hard after God. And he, he, he sought God so hard in prayer and fasting that he actually became ill. He was seeking him in the early hours in winter. He got frostbite. And he was confined to bed for two months. And he said, I was so ill, I could do little more than read my Greek New Testament two hours a day. You know, you know, like things are really bad when you're down to two hours in the Greek. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm just not going to let go. I sought for the one my heart loved. You've stolen my heart, my love, my dove. I sought for the one. And then he says, one day, he says, surely it was a day of my espousal. It's like getting married. You, have, you know, he had to resort to sort of love language and poetry to somehow articulate and frame this experience with God. But before, in his journal, he wrote, I resolved to die or conquer. I resolved to die or conquer. He'd just broken, but he was still hanging in there. And God, as I said often when we're seeking more, will take us to a place we don't want to go. And at which point, said, you really want more of me? Because that will mean I need more of you, and that means I've got to put you to, put you to sleep. I've got to take some stuff. We've got to rearrange the furniture in your life. And many of us don't want that. So we push in for more and we think, ah, is that, is that what it's going to cost? <sighs> nah. I don't mind the hand in the air and a bit of tingle. I wouldn't mind speaking in tongues, but you can keep the rest. But if we want all that God has got for us, we've got to give all that we have to God. On one occasion, he was so filled with the spirit, Wesley ran down the stairs in his room in his room, out the front door, and he ran into our church, St. Aldate's, to praise God. He just had to praise God. He had to go to St. Aldate's. Wonderful. And I live in Oxford, close to this history and this heritage. I think, Lord, we need that again. But two hours a day in the Greek? And it may well be that there are some people here, and there was a time, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where you were seriously going after God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. But then, you know, as with, as with the angel of the Lord who touched the thigh of Jacob and down he goes, limp the rest of his life, you think, I don't want to limp. I don't want to be broken. Nah. I'll be solid, but I won't be sold out. And God says, all right. But maybe this weekend God's saying, and listen, it's never too late. 
You know, this isn't a sermon for the young people. It's never too late to go full on for God. It doesn't matter how old you are. Lay hold of that for which he laid hold of you. Death and desire. And then what does it look like when the Spirit of God comes into our life? Well, let me suggest just two things. I've already touched on them, but we'll underline them. The first is love. And the second is power. Love and power. That's what Ephesians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, let's just turn to it. We looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and we saw that Paul was praying for more for them, yeah? We saw that? Look at Ephesians 3 verse 14. You know this, I'm just reminding you. For this reason, Ephesians 3 14, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name, and I pray, there he goes again, that out of his glorious riches, oh yeah, we've heard that before, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit, or by the Spirit, by the agency of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There it is, power, Holy Spirit, heart. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, not just the vicar. Power with every saint. This is for everyone. It's not just, you know, it's it's not just for the few. He wants all saints to have power, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. It's cross-shaped. High, long, wide, deep is through time. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul's a brilliant man. What a stupid sentence. I've always thought it was weird. I want you to know what you cannot know. Like what? <laughs> In Oxford, they'll kill you for that sort of thing. You know what I mean? You'd, get, you'd fail your degree with an answer like that. To know this love that surpasses knowing. But it's back to that sense of, of not being able to frame or articulate what we know to be true of God in our life that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Again, it's in the subjunctive mood that you may. It's in the future tense. You haven't got it. It's it's posited in the future. And he's praying for it because they haven't got it already. And they need it. I pray that you may have this. Power by the Spirit and knowledge of his love. One of the great tragedies in Scripture is the letter to the church in Ephesus. In, is it Revelation chapter 2? And the Lord commends them and says, Listen, you are solid. You are really solid, you guys. You know, you test this and faithful with this and, you know, brilliant, really impressed. But I've got a bit of a problem with you. I've got this against you. Here's the thing, guys. You've forsaken your first love. Remember that passage? Forsaken your first love. Me, says the Lord. I think Paul, 30 years before that prophecy, knew it. This was always a problem with these Ephesian Christians. Knowledge without experience, service without affection. When he appeared to them in Acts chapter 19, when Paul first preached the gospel there, he met these faithful crowd. We are, he said, I met the disciples. He says, brilliant, wonderful. And then he thought, hang on, something not quite right. So he asked a question. 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? They went, what? We, we haven't ever heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, ah, we, we've had John's baptism. You're not really disciples. He introduced them to Christ. He baptizes them again. And they're filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues. Here, a few years later in this letter, he's told them what they've got, but he's praying for them to have more. And the sad thing is in the Revelation chapter 2, that when the Lord speaks to them, he says, I've got this against you. So much that is good. But you have held back from everything I wanted to give you and you've forsaken your first love. Did Paul see that? And that's why Paul prayed especially for them, for the Spirit to give them the love of God. And St. John says we love him because he first loved us. You can't really love God until you know that God loves you. They'd forsaken their first love for Christ, but that's because they hadn't entered fully into that flowing love from Christ for them. So these two things then. One, intimacy or love. And the work of the Spirit always facilitates a deeper understanding of Christ and a deeper intimacy with him. I'd wondered about teaching today about the Spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But I didn't. But, you know, one of the Romans eight, Holy Spirit, oh, Two things come out of your mouth when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord and God is my Father. These are the two things. There's there's a revelation of the nature of God, the Lordship of Christ and the fatherhood of God and this amazing intimacy. God is my Father. There is a a profound revelation that we are the bride of Christ. I mean, it's it's difficult for some. We are both sons of God and the bride of Christ. You know, we're not daughters of God. We're sons of God, because in the ancient world it's a position of inheritance, and we're the bride of Christ. And the ladies have to cope with the fact that they're sons of God, and the men have to cope with the fact that they're the bride of Christ. It just just how it works and we can't play around with the text but it's about both of them about intimacy the bride of Christ the church intimacy intimacy and that's what the spirit does it just stirs our affections for Christ and it helps us uh, it gives us an experience of his affection for us we're just wrapped embalmed in his love Many of us believe he loves us. You know, greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friend. He loved me, he laid down his life for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love in this that while we were yet... You know, we know the verses. There's a big difference between knowing the proposition and believing it and and, and experiencing it. That he loves me, loves me, loves me, loves me. And many Christians have a relationship with texts, not the reality behind them. God wants us to just be enveloped, enveloped, enveloped in, better than enveloped, um, in his love. What a thing. 
I love the Song of Songs. It's one of my faves. You know, it begins, uh, Song of Songs 1-2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips. Your love is sweeter than wine. And you've stolen my heart, my love. It's brilliant. Did you know that the Puritans wrote more books on Song of Songs than they did on any other book of the Bible? More than Romans, you know? Why? At the heart of Puritanism was not ban the mince pie. At the heart of Puritanism was an experience of God. Puritanism was about the affection. It became legalism, but in its core it was about experiencing God. Did you know that the testimony in church was invented by the Puritans? Did you know that? In the Puritan chapels, the Puritans used to have to come up and give testimony to their experience of God that week. You know, could you, could you do that? Journaling was invented by the Puritans, who had to record, before giving a testimony, the experiences and the, and the speech of God to them that week. Amazing. We think Puritans aggressively whitewashed walls and no fun. Not a bit of it. They were, you know, for them, church, it was a, it was a bridge to heaven. And they were going to meet him there. They loved him. I love the Puritans. Here's one of my favorites. Richard Sibbs, he says, in the 16th century, he talked about the sweet kiss of the soul, spiritual ravishings, the beginning of heaven before its time. How about that for language? Spiritual ravishings. <laughs> Amazing. Meeting with God was just an overwhelming experience of his love. One of my favorite Puritans, a man called Samuel Rutherford. He was in jail uh, in Scotland and, uh, you know, confessor of Christ and he used to write at the top of his letters from Christ's palace in Aberdeen. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that magic? Lock me up. You lock me up with Jesus. And he would write these amazing letters. One of them he says, my, again, I think he was from the West Country, my lover... He says, my lover has taken off his mask and said, kiss thy fill. And then he says, oh, love, love, love. Long before the Beatles said it, he said it. Did. On another occasion, he says, he says, I, I, he says something like, I love God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know which one I love the most. I love them all, and I need them all. Now, this is the Puritans. These are the men and women of God who are prepared to suffer and go to jail for their confession of it, persecuted for it, but they couldn't deny it. Why? Because they knew whom they believed, not just believed what they believed. And it was love. And I tell you that the experience of the Holy Spirit is one of love. 
He fills it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is love. St. Augustine said this. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son, wherewith the Father and the Son love the world, where, and that then envelop us in love to love God back. In that circle of love. He's the one who fills us with love. The love of God for us our love for God, and the overflow, our love for the world. This would be the mark. You've forsaken your first love, you Ephesians. You just, turn, you just forsook it. And he commends them for being sound as a pound, but they lost their first love. Tragic. What a tragedy. The church all too often has lost its love. It's lost its experience of the love of God. It's lost the love for God. And, and, and there's no overflow in loving the world. You know, if you were to ask 100 non-Christians out there on the beach at Norfolk this afternoon, what do you think of Christians? How many of them would say, love? They're just, filled, they're just full of it. They're the, love, they're the love people. They love God. God loves them. I don't even believe in God, but they're the lovers. I am from Bristol. Did you know that Bristol Council said no Bristol Council employees like on the bus can call people my lover anymore? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, people come in, can I have a bus ticket, please? All right, my lover. Um, you can't say it anymore because it was, you know, deemed bad form. Well, I'm from the West Country. I'm going to say it. Uh, in church, it's almost been deemed bad form to be that intimate with God. You know? And so we can be very formal and prosaic and... Uh, or, you know, very serious evangelicals. I'm a serious evangelical. I'm as serious as they get. Well, not quite. But I'm deadly serious. You know, I am a, I'm a serious evangelical, committed to Scripture, putting the cross at the center, putting Scripture at the center, putting mission at the center. But why? I've been gripped by a great affection. He loves me. He loves me. How can I but love him? You know, when you were younger and used to get them flowers and you fancied someone, you think, right, here we go. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. Do you remember that? Some of you, come on. Come on. Humor me. You get to the end, you can see about four and you think in your mind, oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, oh two at a time, Flip. Ah! But he just, he just loves us, guys. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of love who loves us. He loves me, loves me, loves me, loves me. He loves me, and I can face anything. And he wants us to love him back. I got a text from my 13-year-old yesterday as I'm stuck in a traffic jam at Tetford or somewhere. Telford? Telford. Anyway, I was stuck in a traffic jam there. <laughs> a text came in from my boy. Dad, are you at a conference? I wrote back and said, you know, we weren't moving. Uh, <laughs> Stuck in a traffic jam, yeah. He said, I love you and I'm praying for you. My 13 year old boy. I didn't even talk to my dad at 13. I love you and I'm praying for you. I just, my heart just expanded. That's what God wants to hear from his children. I love you and I'm praying to you. That's what he wants us to hear from him. Jesus saying, I love you and I'm praying for you. He ever lives to intercede. Ours is, a, ours is a, it's about love. It really is. Well, that was that point. And what was the last one? In, <laughs> power. Well, we all know what power is. Power is, 
the ability to affect change. That's a good working definition of your physicist. It's simply the capacity to, to, to enable change, enable something to happen. It's not just an experience, but it's an equipping. And again, as one reads through these the script, scriptures and as one reads through the lives of the saints, when they experience the power of God, a meeting with God, having taken hold of God, what overflows is not just love, but love joined with power. Love without power doesn't achieve much. Power without love is dangerous. But love and power together. And that's what is given to us by the Holy Spirit. He wants to equip the church with gifts of power, with anointing, to enable us. You know, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I've been around church nearly all my life, apart from a, a gap year of about eight years. And um, in, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of power. It was all talk. It was all talk. I know what you're thinking, a bit like you. Um, it was all taught. Where's the power? The Spirit of the Lord, says Jesus, is upon me because he's anointed me. Can we say that? To preach good news to the poor and bind up the broken heart and set the prisoner free. We need power. And that is what the Spirit's about. And we need it at a personal level to just deal with stuff in our life and to help us to live for him. We need it, we need it for our ministry to serve him effectively and to serve him fruitfully. Love and power. I've gone on too long, so I don't want to make any more points. Or make any more of that long point. Love and power. Wouldn't that be great? If, I mean, I've never met a church that made something like that its sort of mission statement. What are you about? Love and power. Brilliant. People, most vicars would be too afraid because they'd have to measure up to it and they'd be shown not to. Love and power. Your church is a love and power church but I truly believe that's what we're all about. And when we've met, because that's what Christ was all about. He's the one who loved us from all eternity. And the Lord, all power is his. All loving, all powerful. And the church should somehow reflect that, love and power. Amen? Well, I'd like to invite the band up. Would that be okay? And... Um, we're going to have some ministry. I think we're going to start it a bit different. And uh, we're going to have time of worship. I think we're going to go up till midday. Some of you, I know, are going to have to go and collect your children or uh, you've got things to go to. I know there's a wedding on. But we're just going to stay and we're going to worship. And, um, but, and during this worship, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. You may want to respond where you are. You may not want to respond. You may think, I've got a lot of stuff in my head. I've got to go and think about that. I'm not sure I agree with you anyway. But some of you may be thinking, yes. This is what, I've been waiting for this stuff, and, they, and, and I'm up for it, and, and I'm going for it. Love and power. And um, what I'd like us to do, uh, if that's all right, while we're worshipping, is to invite you. Well, would you like to stand? Let's stand. And I'd like to invite you, if you want more of his spirit, and you might think, you know, and it comes at a cost, because he, he wants more of you. You might think, well, I've got to think about this. And you might have stuff that you need to deal with in your life. I'm just processing. I can't be rushed, and I'm not going to be manipulated. So, you know, good on you. 
But if you say, yeah, I really do, then I'd like to invite you uh, in a minute and just to come and stand at the front. And uh, I'm just going to say a prayer for us. And then if the ministry team would be available over here. And um, if you're not sure if you're on the ministry team, then don't just pile in anyway. Uh, go and see Alan, and Alan will say, you're not on the ministry team. Um, no, <laughs> you go and see him, because he knows who's on the ministry team. And, uh, but if you're, on the, if you're part of the ministry team, if you'd like to come forward as well, after I pray, you might want me to just have a bit of prayer first. And we're just seeking God, and then we're going to have some worship. Just a time for seeking God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? So let's close our eyes. And if you're, if you're able and comfortable with it, you might like to hold your hands out. It doesn't mean anything. But, you know, for some it's a helpful physical gesture of, you know, saying, please, sir, can I have some more? And uh, let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you do love us. That from all eternity you had us in mind. And we thank you that you loved us from eternity. We thank you that you have adopted us to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We thank you that you redeemed us from sin, death and hell, that you reconciled us to you, that you've justified us, that you've established us as righteous before you. You've acquitted us of all our sin because of Jesus' death in our place. We thank you that we are your children and that you have good gifts for us. And Lord, we come to you this morning and we want to ask for more. We want to pray for Uh, a greater revelation I've said so many words but we pray by your spirit you would highlight truth from your word and apply it to our lives we want to be the people of God that you've called us to be and we pray also Lord that if you've got more for us then we want it and we haven't got all night but we're here now and we're holding on to you come Holy Spirit and fill us. Come Holy Spirit. We're asking you Lord to fill us with your love and your power. We want to experience it and we want to express it. Your love and your power. And so we wait Lord. We we wait here now and we ask come upon us. We're just going to wait for a moment and we're not going to rush. Let's just attune ourselves to God and just call out to him now. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Maybe you're one of those who know that a bit like that leather briefcase, something precious was lost that you had years ago. Lord, bring it up today. Bring it back. Reinstitute it today. That call, that gift, that experience today. Come Holy Spirit. 
Maybe some of you know that you've plateaued. Today's the day. You stand up. You put the rucksack on. We're going up higher. Some of you have been slipping back down. You put your heel in. We're not going back any further. Recharging forward. Come Holy Spirit. Renew us in our love for you. We want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord.